You're listening to a presentation of The Rising. We're a real church for real people where you can belong before you believe. We're always honored to hear how God is working in your life through this ministry. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, hit us up at wearetherising.com or on Facebook or Instagram. Finally, if you'd like to invest in what God's doing through this church, you can always give online through our site. Thanks again for tuning in and get ready. Lean forward with an expectant attitude to hear a message from God's Word. Hey, when you, when you think about uh, great historical movements that have happened uh, in the past, uh, movements that have, have changed life and, and shaped society and ultimately transformed the world, uh, chances are some of the movements that you think of are the abolitionist movement. Uh, the, the, the states' rights movement, the women's rights movement, the civil rights movement, the environmental movement, the anti-war movement. Maybe, maybe you even think about the, the Revolutionary War, which was sparked by this movement for freedom. And so when we think about movements, great movements that have taken place in history, we think about all these movements. But, but, but the number one movement that comes to each and every one of our minds, the, the thing that comes front and center when we think about a great movement is the no-pants subway ride movement, isn't it? I mean, that's the thing you think of when you think of great movements. It's a great movement, the no-pants subway ride movement. And, and, and you all know the history of the no-pants subway ride movement. I don't need to go over it, but, but just to give you a fresher, if you're a, a, a little foggy, back in 2002, seven guys from the group Improv Everywhere boarded subway trains in New York City, and they weren't wearing any pants. And they pretended not to notice one another as they were on the, on the subway cars. And when they were asked about not wearing pants, they said, well, they just forgot it that day. And so this, this was the spark of what would later become this international movement. Seven guys boarding a subway train with no pants. The, the next year, they did the no pants subway ride. And uh, 30 people joined the movement. 30 people uh, didn't wear pants as they rode the subway. And uh, this was the first day. The, the first time that the movement grew from just all men to men and women. And so there's growth as this, as this movement goes on. The, the, the next year, uh, the third year of the movement, uh, the subway ride garnered uh, 40 participants. And it was covered by um, the ABC News Show 2020. And then the next year, in 2005, the ride grew to 50 participants. And This American Life covered the experience uh, for their Showtime TV show. And then the fifth ride in 2006 was actually shut down by police as eight people were arrested who rode the subway with no pants. And uh, David Letterman covered this on his late night show. And uh, it was after the persecution of the subway ride uh, movement that um, more people joined it. I mean, that's how movements happen. After persecution, they just seem to blow up. This is how the church expanded and exploded. When the church in the first century was persecuted, people scattered and the church spread all over the place. But what happened was, in 2006, the movement was, was shut down, the ride was shut down. But the very next year, the subway ride grew to 300 people who participated and this was the first year that diversity really uh, took hold of the ride. Uh, it, it had people of all colors, ages, sexes, and sizes participating in the No Pants Subway ride. The, the following year, the ride grew to 900 participants, and it took place in nine cities, including cities in Australia and Canada. And today, tens of thousands of people ride subway cars with no pants uh, one day a year in over 60 cities and countries all over the world. 
And what started as this small prank of seven guys wearing no pants on a subway car has evolved into this massive movement that's now this great celebration of silliness. And this is what movements are, are really all about. This is how movements grow. See, they start off this, as this one small spark, but then they grow into this massive inferno that's bigger than anyone could ever imagine. We're in the midst of this series called You Say Church. I say, uh, where we're talking about different misconceptions that people have of the church. And uh, the first week of the series, we said, you say church, I say hospital. Because I just believe that the church is a hospital for the broken to find healing. I believe that the, the, the church is a place for the hopeless to find hope. I believe that, that the church is this place where all of us who are messed up, jacked up, and in need of help can come and find that through our Savior. And none of us have it all together. All of us are in need of fixing. And so that was the first week of the series. You say church, I say hospital. Last week we said, you say church, I say party. Because the church has the greatest message the world has ever seen. The church has the greatest message the world has ever heard. And because of that, we should celebrate. We should have a party because we know a resurrected Savior. Two weeks after Easter, the grave is still empty. And we have something to celebrate. So you say church, I say party. But today I want to I talk about the truth that, that you say church, I say movement. That's the title for my sermon. If you would take a moment to write it down in the note section of your note cards. Uh, you say church, I say movement. See, for a lot of people, when they think about church, they don't think of it as a movement. For, for some people, when they think about church, they think of something that they go and they, and, they, and they attend. They think of church as this weekly gathering where I go and I get my God fix. Right? Like, I go and I get my Jesus on, and um, I get refreshed and refueled and energized so I can go throughout the rest of the week. And that's fine. That's a good thing for you to come and get encouraged and inspired and filled up here. But it's not just this weekly gathering where we get our Jesus on. It's more than that. See, for some people, when they think about church, they think of it as something to sit through, something to endure. And so I go and I stand through some singing, I sit through some talking, but at the end of the day, I'm good. God is good with me, and so I get a check in the box, and my spouse won't nag me to come for the rest of the month. Like, I am good. I, I paid my dues. I did my time. I'm good. And, and, and for others, when, when they think about church, they think of church as, as this, uh, this inward-focused gathering of people who, where it's all about what can I get from this? How can I be fed? How am I going to benefit? What's in it for me? And what happens is, is the church then becomes this inwardly focused gathering of people. And when that happens, it becomes stagnant and it stinks. And so for some people, when they think of church, that's what they think of. And if that's what you think of when you think of church, I understand why you wouldn't want to be a part of it. I mean, who wants to be a part of something like that? But when I say church, when you say church, I say movement. I say church is so much more than what we've made it to be. And so throughout this series, that's what we're, we're trying to find out. What, what could church be? What should church be? What was the church created to be? Well, then let's be that. And so when I say church, I say movement. And it's interesting that when Jesus talked about the church, he talked about it as this gathering of people who rallied around the reality of the resurrection. And they were inspired, and they were fired up, and they were, they were going to be excited 
about the life God was calling them to. See, when Jesus talked about the church, he talked about it in this invigorating way where it's like you and I are this movement and we're storming the gates of hell and we're taking ground for God and we're bringing light into the darkness. We're bringing hope to the hopeless. We're bringing life into places where death formerly reigned. Like this is the church, it's this movement that we get to be a part of. And Jesus, Jesus actually talked about it to his disciples in this way when he was, he was, um, he was in this place and he, he had his disciples, his followers gathered around and um, Jesus asked them this question. And, and it's a question that you and I have to answer for ourselves as well. And, and the, the answer that you give to this question changes everything about your life. It, it really sparks a movement in your life. But, but here's the question that Jesus posed to his followers. He said, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Can I just ask you that this morning? Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? Because who you say he is will determine how you interact with him. How you perceive Jesus will determine how you receive Jesus. How you see him will determine how you live for him and interact with him. And so who do you say that he is? See, if you say that Jesus is a good man, then you'll treat him as a good man. If you say that Jesus is this religious figure, then you'll treat him as this religious figure. If you see him as your homeboy, then you'll treat him as your homeboy. But if you see Jesus as the son of God, as one who sticks closer than a brother, one who knows you better than you know yourself, one who came to raise you to new life and who has called you to become greater, if you see him as one who gives your life meaning, infuses into you a plan and a purpose for living, if he's your only hope and only saving grace, one who wiped out your sins and gave you a new start every day with daily grace, if you see him as one who leads you in victory through the power of his resurrection working within you, if he's this to you, then it changes everything. And so who do you say that he is? Who do you say that Jesus is? If he's God to you, is he God to you in everything? Is he the God of your finances? Is he the God of your relationships? Is he the God of your integrity? Is he a, the God of your identity? If he's God to you, is he God in everything? Is he supreme in everything? Who is he to you? And that's the question you gotta determine for yourself. Because who he is to you is who you'll allow him to be in your life. And, and I'm convinced that many of us miss out on the purpose and the plan that God has for us, we miss out on living the greater life God has come to bring us because we have too small of a view of God. He's, he's too little to us. And we need to expand who he is to us. Who is he to you? Je Jesus got his disciples together and he said, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, well, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And so Peter said, you're the son of God. You're the savior. You're the one who's come to redeem us. You're the one who's come to spark this movement. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, I don't have time to, to get deep into a Bible study on this, but, but Jesus essentially says, uh, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. 
on this rock of the statement you just made, Peter, on this rock of the statement that I am the son of God, that's what I'm going to build my church on. And so the church is built not on Peter. The church is built not from a building, but the church is built on the statement that Jesus is the son of God. This is why we gather. This is what we hope for. This is why sometimes people say, well, what's the church about? And, and if you say, well, we're about serving people and loving people. We're about this and this. Sometimes people, people don't get it and they'll say, well, isn't the church supposed to be about Jesus? That's what the church is built on. It has to be about Jesus. Of course it's about Jesus. He said, on this rock I'm going to build my church. On this statement that I'm the son of God, I'll build my church. And when Jesus is the son of God in your life, you'll begin to live out what it means to be the church in an even greater way. He said, on this rock, I'll build my church. And then Jesus said this, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Talking about the church. The gates of Hades will not overcome the church. Now, Jesus uses this Greek word Hades, which is in reference to a realm of the dead, a place of the dead. And so really what Jesus is saying is that the gates of death will not overcome his church. The, the gates of death will not overcome his church. Here's what's interesting. Gates are a defensive measure. When you think about battle and war, gates are a defensive measure. They're, they're not offensive. Gates don't advance, but gates defend what's behind them. And so Jesus said that the gates of death, when it comes to the church, the gates of death will not overcome the church. And sometimes in our mind, as we think about this, we think about death advancing on us, Satan advancing on us, Satan, and, 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 and maybe you have this, this wild imagination, it's like Satan and all his demons and his, his army, and they're coming against us, but we will stand strong. That's not the image Jesus gives. Jesus said that the gates of death will not overcome the church. Gates are defensive, gates don't advance. So the image Jesus gives us of the church, here's what the church is. Jesus said that the church is this movement that forcefully advances against the gates of death. And when we come into contact with the gates of death, we demolish them. We smash them down because they won't overcome the church. And so we actually take ground for God. We enter into places of death and bring life. We enter into places of darkness and bring light. We enter into places of hopelessness and bring hope. The image of the church is that you and I are this movement forcefully advancing, moving forward against the gates of death, and they won't overcome us. They don't stand a chance because we are this movement. And I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss it when we talk about the church being this movement that forcefully advances. Watch this. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. You are the body of Christ. body of Christ is, sim is synonymous with the church. And what it says is that you are the church. What is the church? A movement. The church is a movement. You are the church. That means you are a movement. Have you stopped to think of yourself that way? You are a movement. You are the movement because you are the church. When we gather together like this, we bring the church to the building, and we, you, as individuals, are the movement. What does this look like? Because you're the movement, you wake up on Monday morning, you wake up tomorrow, and you don't say, dear God, it's Monday. 
You say, thank God it's Monday, and I'm going into work because I'm bringing the movement to my job. I'm bringing the movement of positivity to my job. I'm bringing the movement of joy to my job. What it means is you look at your marriage and you say, even if it's struggling, it doesn't matter because I'm bringing the movement into my marriage. We are going to survive this. We are going to get through this. We are going to work this out because we are a movement of resurrection. God specializes in bringing dead things back to life. So I'm bringing the movement back into my marriage. What it means is you go into your family and you say, I know they're crazy, but it doesn't matter. They're not going to affect me because I'm bringing the movement to my family. I am the movement and I'm showing up. As the movement, it means you set the temperature. You don't allow others to tell you what to do, but you dictate the the momentum of what's going on because you are the movement. You're a force to be reckoned with. You go into your school and you say, watch out now, because the movement just showed up. You bring it with you. How do, I, how do I be a Christian in my secular job? Be the movement. How do I be a Christian in my, in my family? Be the movement. How do I be a Christian in this, in this world, this old world? You be the movement, because that's what you are. You're the movement. Some of you need to wake up tomorrow morning, look in the mirror and say, I am the movement. And I will. I will bring the movement with me. I'm not a victim. I don't have to succumb to whatever the atmosphere is at my job and my family. I don't have to succumb to whatever it is I'm feeling, the doubt and the depression that I have, but I'm forcefully advancing against those things. I'm taking ground because I am the movement. I'm following Jesus who's bringing life into dead things. I'm following Jesus who's bringing light into darkness. I'm following Jesus as the movement. Changes everything. You say church, I say movement. And so when Jesus talked about the church, this was his understanding of what the church looked like. And so what if if the church was actually supposed to be bigger than just our personal preferences? What if the church was supposed to be this gathering of people who rally around the reality of the resurrection and we say we are going to live resurrection in our lives? What if the church was really supposed to be about something more than, than, than people who just got together and said, how can I benefit? How can I grow? What if instead the church was this messy movement of people who experienced grace and we have the longing for others to experience the same grace we did and so we can't help but talk about this thing. We can't shut up about it because we are the movement of grace. This is what the church is. This is what you are. See, when we gather together like this, you get your marching orders so you know how to carry out the movement this week. I hope this isn't a place where you come just to see how you can get filled up. And maybe you do need to get filled up, but the only reason why you should need to get filled up on a Sunday morning is because you poured yourself out all week being the movement. And you come in here battle-scarred, weary, not beaten down by life, but you're like, I'm being life to people. And so I need to get filled up and get my marching orders to go on out. We are the movement. And when we operate this way, everything changes. I want to I show you what it looks like to live as the movement, how we embrace being a move of God 
here in our midst. And we actually get to see how the early church did it in the book of Acts. I love the book of Acts um, because it, it, it describes the movement of the early church when it first launched. And so if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open up to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And when I talk about Acts, it's A-C-T-S, not A-X-E. So the, the, the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42, we're going to see how the move of God operated when the church first began. We'll, we'll, we'll take a look at their example, and then we'll go back and see um, what does this mean for us. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42, what's happened is these early Christians came to this realization where Jesus resurrected. And they said, man, the resurrection changes everything. This is the spark in the movement. And so they began to gather together. And they said, as a result of the resurrection, because we believe in this, here's how we should live. And we see their example right here, Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. For every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There's another passage that describes the, the, the actions and the behaviors of these early Christians. Acts 4.32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now, what I want to do is I want to go back over these passages and just parse out some things uh, that we see here. So first, Acts 2.42, it starts off by saying this, they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. They, they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. Here's what that means. That everything we're about to read, they made a priority. And so they said, this is going to be a priority in my life. This is not just going to be part of my life. This isn't going to be something I show up to every once in a while. This is going to take priority. I am devoting myself to these things. And so for the early church, if you were to ask them this question, hey, are you going to church this week? They'd say, what do you mean going to church? How can I go to something I am? I am the church. Do you mean am I going to gather with the rest of the church? Of course I'm going to because I've devoted myself to this. This is a priority in my life. It's not something if I make time for it or if the weather's nice, then maybe I'll show up. They devoted themselves. As a movement, you can't be half-hearted about it. It's all in as a movement. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now this was the art of the sermon. They devoted themselves to the art of the sermon. See, back then, early Christians didn't have a copy of the Bible. They couldn't just read the Bible. They couldn't just pull out their phone and look on a Bible app and read what it said. They didn't have a copy of the scriptures. Like, like the Bible, this collection of 66 books that we have bound in one location didn't exist. 
They just had all these random books floating out all over the place. So the way that they got God's word was to show up on a Sunday morning and listen to the apostles' teaching. And so they heard the word of God preached, but here's how they were changed. Not by just hearing the word of God, but by doing the word of God. And so it's devoting yourself, not just to come and hear me talk like it's a TED talk and say, well, that was really nice. And then, no, no. But it's to say, God, what word do you have from me, for me, and how do you want to change me and transform me through it? See, you're changed not by the word you hear, but by the word that you do. For them, they made it a priority to, to listen to the art of the sermon. And we center our worship experience around the sermon. This is the longest thing that we do uh, in the whole worship experience, partly because I talk too much, um, but also because we believe that when the word of God is preached, change happens, transformation happens. And we've heard that from people. People come and they say, man, I came, and it was like he was talking right to me. I needed to hear that. I needed to receive that. And I want to give you a moment real quick just to, just to teach you how to interact with the sermon. See, when I stand up on stage like this to preach to you, I'm not just giving you a nice talk, right? But what I've done is I've taken time to go be with God and say, God, what do you want me to say to this church? How do you want me to lead and guide our church? And then from that, taking God's word, I want to give you some truths that are going to help you out in your life. And over and over again, we've heard people say, man, I needed to hear that. It's like you were talking to me. Here's the thing. When I, when I stand at my stand-up desk, because that's what I have, a stand-up desk, I don't sit down. I'm not a lazy preacher. When I stand up at my stand-up desk and I write these sermons, I'm, I, I'm not thinking about a specific person, but, but I'm thinking about people just in general. I'm thinking about the person who comes to our church who's, who, who has questions and doubts about God, and they don't even know, do I even believe in God? And so I'm talking to you, and I want to help you understand that, that despite your questions, if you'll just open your heart, open your mind, and pursue God, you'll find him, because he's not far from you at all. I think about that person, and then I think about the casual Christian who, yeah, I'm a Christian, but really you're a Christian by name. And you haven't really embraced the movement to begin living it out. So I think about you, and I'm trying to give you some, some wisdom and truth and challenge you in some ways. I think about the person who's, who's been a Christian for years, who's strong in their faith, and I'm figuring out, how do I, how do I challenge you not to be so self-absorbed, but then to take your faith and pour it out to others to be a benefit to others? How do you take your next step in becoming greater as a mature Christian? And then, and then I'm just thinking about me. And I'm asking the question when I'm writing this sermon, what do I need to hear? Like every time I get up on stage, the person I'm preaching to first and foremost is me. Like I need this stuff. I need to hear this. I need to live this out. And so if it helps you, awesome. Because I'm talking to me. But we've heard that. People say, oh, man, it was so great. I, I, I needed that. And that's a good thing. But here's the thing, too. You got to take the good with the bad. I, I'll say, you got to take the inspiration with the conviction. See, if you come and you get convicted, don't think I was sitting there thinking about you when I wrote that. No, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to everybody in here. But if it hits you, receive the conviction, receive the correction, and allow God to change you and transform you. That's what's so great about preaching God's word is that it changes us. It molds us to become more like the people he's called us to be. And so for the early Christians, they devoted themselves 
to the apostles' teaching. This is also for us. Not only is it devoting ourselves to the art of the sermon, which, by the way, if you're not here on a Sunday, my hope is you'll go back and listen to it on the podcast. If you're serving in our kids' ministry, my hope is you'll go back and listen to it on the podcast. So you'll say, man, i got to hear what our pastor is saying so I can keep up with the vision of our church as we continue to move forward. So, so they devoted themselves to the art of the sermon. But, but for us, too, it's also we have the, the chance to read God's word for ourselves. Right? And so you have the Bible that you can read. People ask me the question sometimes, how do I grow as a Christian? Or, or, or what, how does the church help people grow? Listen, the, the way that you grow as a Christian is by reading your Bible. is by doing the things that we're going to read here, devoting yourself to the art of the sermon, by reading your Bible. Have you ever stopped to think about this? Early Christians had far less resources than we do to grow in their faith. And yet for so many of them, their faith was way stronger than ours. I mean, think about it. Back then, they didn't have elevation worship to listen to. They didn't have Bethel worship to listen to, Hillsong worship to listen to. They didn't have an array of great and amazing preachers that they could listen to their podcasts throughout the week. They didn't have that. They didn't even have a Bible that they could pull up on their phone and look at. No, all they had was scattered um, copies of these different books that are in the Bible and then the community, the gathering of people. That's what they had. But they were over... They were able to grow in their faith so much so that they said, I'll be fed to the lions for it. I'll be crucified for my faith. You talk about a strong faith. And so what did they do? What, I just tell people, let's just do what they did and then we'll grow in our faith. But here's the thing, it's up to you. If you want to grow in your faith, you have to take charge of it. You are responsible for your growth. The church can just create environments that you can get in to help you grow but your growth is your job. It's up to you, and you have every resource available to you to grow in your faith. Here's what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is the art of the sermon. This is reading God's word. Here's the next one, and to fellowship. And to fellowship. This is the gathering of people. So they said this is going to be a priority. We're going to gather together as a movement. And so when you devote yourself to the fellowship, to gathering together like this, it's not just coming and sitting in rows, but it's getting to know people. It's getting involved in a group. Our group's launched this past week. If you hadn't joined a group, man, I don't know what you're waiting for. It's one of the best things we do as a church. It's one of the best ways that we build community with one another. And this is what they did. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to not just being nameless, faceless people who gather on a Sunday but to be known, to be a community, to build relationships. But they did devote themselves to the gathering, to what we do on Sunday morning. There's this time in the book of Hebrews uh, where the author says to the church, and let us not be in the habit of forsaking meeting together as some, and let us not forsake meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. See, what happened in the early church is not everybody made it a priority and not everybody showed up on a Sunday. He said, let's, let's not do that. Instead, let's continue to meet like this because I don't know about you, but I need this. I need to gather with people and sing with one voice to the God who sits on the throne. I need to be reminded of the sacrifice Jesus made for us uh, through communion. I need this time. I, 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 can't, I can't operate without it. It's just a weekly reminder and so for you, you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make being in church on Sunday a priority because I'm a part of a movement. 
What that looks like is you say, hey, Bush Gardens, you're awesome, and I'll come visit you on Saturday or Sunday afternoon, but not Sunday morning because I have a weekly appointment that I'm going to be at. What it means is that you say, hey, sports teams, we love you and all, but if the game is on Sunday, my kid won't be able to play unless it's Sunday afternoon because I'm trying to teach them that the house of God is a priority and we are a part of a movement. That's what we're going to do. What it means is that you say, I'm not going to stay up late on Saturday night partying, doing whatever so that I miss church the next morning because I'm a part of something bigger. I'm a part of something greater. I can get my margarita later. I don't need to start drinking early. No, I'm showing up to the movement on Cinco de Mayo. That's what it means. You make it a priority. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. I don't know if you heard, but I'm part of a movement, and I'm showing up. To the breaking of bread, this is the reference of communion, and we take communion each and every week, and what's going to happen at the end of this sermon is we're going to have members from our VIP team come down, and they're going to pass out trays, and and in those trays are stacks of cups. The, The bottom cup has some bread. It's there to remind us of Jesus' body that was broken for us. The top cup has some juice. It's there to remind us of his blood that was shed for us, and I want to invite you as communion is passed. Feel free to take it at any time that you want, but we do this to remember the sacrifice Jesus made for us. So they made that a priority, the breaking of bread and a prayer. And this is us connecting, um, this is us connecting with and communicating with God because we need to be commu- uh, connected with our leader so, he know, so we know where he's leading us in the movement. So they devoted themselves to prayer. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Everyone was filled with awe. I hope you're filled with awe by what God is doing in this church. I hope you're filled with awe at the fact that there are people in Papua New Guinea who have a copy of the Bible in their own language and they wouldn't have had that otherwise except for our church being generous and giving to support the missionaries that we do there. I hope you're in awe of that. I hope you're in awe at the way that we're working to eradicate homelessness in our area by supporting pen ministry, people in need, by, by funding their mission and their vision to help the homeless in the Hampton Roads area. And we're only able to do that through your generosity. I hope you're in awe of that. I hope you're in awe of the way that we're seeing marriages healed, the way that people are discovering true life in God. I hope you're in awe at all the things God is doing in us and through us. I hope you never take it for granted. Because when you start to take it for granted, when you start to take the move of God for granted, I believe God looks at that and says, fine, I'll go do it somewhere else. We never want to take this for granted. And it's so true that you can sit on the front row of a move of God and miss it because you've taken it for granted. No, no, no. They were in awe. They were in awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. I hope you're in awe at the fact that we saw six people get baptized on Easter and we got several other people getting baptized this May. God is at work in our midst. Let's never take it for granted. Is that all the believers were together and had everything in common. And so despite their differences, they had a sense of unity because they were united under one vision. We come together and we're united under one vision. That means that we don't gossip. That means that we aren't negative. And that means if you sit in the presence of gossip, you rise up and you shut that down. Because you remind people, wait, we're Christians. We're better than that. We don't need to talk bad about people. We don't need to put people down. Because we're part of a movement. We're on the same team. They were in all. 
at the many signs and wonders, and the believers were together, and they had everything in common because they were united under one vision, seeking to accomplish one mission. Verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And so what's interesting here is that generosity is just a characteristic of these Christians. This is just what they do. Like, like for them back then, if you were to say to those Christians, hey, did you know that in 2019 there are going to be some Christians who have given their life to Jesus, who are following him, but they don't give sacrificially back to God, those Christians would say, what? That doesn't make sense. Because a characteristic of a Christian is that we give. Because our Heavenly Father is the epitome of generosity. They would say, we want to become more like God. The way that we do that is through giving. Like, a Christian who doesn't give, that's an oxymoron. That's like a, a vegetarian who eats meat. That's like a chef who microwaves all their food. Like, it just doesn't happen. For them, a characteristic of their Christianity is that they gave, that they were generous. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And so they hung out with one another, and they were grateful with one another. Church was more than just a chair. Church was a gathering where they built community together. And I love the, the community that we've built here as a church. I love the family aspect that people feel when they come. And that's one of the things people say they love most about this church. They say, I love that it feels like a family. I mean, th this past week, there was a lady in our church uh, who she's pregnant, and she had some bleeding issues, and so she went to the hospital because that's never a good sign and there were two other ladies who showed up to visit with her at the hospital from our church to be there with her and support her in this tough time and everything's good everything's fine with the baby everything's fine with her but but I just love that she was in need and these two other ladies from our church showed up to give her support that's what the church is it's like this family it's when it's when people need help moving people from our church say, don't, don't bother with hiring movers. We will come help you move. I love it when, when I hear the stories of, of support when people are going through difficult times, how people rally behind them. When someone has a baby and people from our church say, don't worry about meals for the next two weeks. We got you covered. That's what this is. This is what they did. They they were community. They were this gathering of people who are like a family. So when someone suffers from a miscarriage, they're surrounded by people who love them and care for them and are there to support them. It's when people want to quit and give up. We rally and say, no, God has called you to something greater. Don't miss out on the full potential he wants to do in your life. Yeah. We're a community. What happens as every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, they became the support system from one another. And so you say church, I say movement, the support system. Verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And I want you to see what happens. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. See, what happens is people see the way that the church is living, and they say, I want in on that. I see the movement that you're a part of, and I want to be a part of it too. Man, there's just something about you. There's something taking place in your life. There's some momentum of change that's going on, and I want in on that. People see the church as a movement, 
And it says God adds to their number daily those who are being saved. I just believe if we grasp this and we live as the move of God that he's called us to be, people will see that and we can't help but grow because people will say, I want in on what's going on there. But it begins with us choosing to be the movement. I wanna, I wanna point back to uh, Acts chapter four and then, and then I, wanna, I wanna close by, by issuing a challenge to you. But this is a great example of seeing how the church operated and became a, a movement in, in the city they were in. Acts 4.32 said, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they have. They had, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned land or sold houses or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Again, I wanna point out that generosity is a huge factor in this movement. Sometimes people ask the question, how come the church talks so much about money? And not just this church, but churches in general. How come churches talk so much about money? Well, here, the reason why we talk about money is because we have a great vision as a church. See, a church with no vision will ask for no money. Because if you don't have a vision, you don't need any money to accomplish anything. But if you have a great vision, how many of you know it requires resources to see that vision come about? And so the reason why we talk about money as a church is because we have a great vision as a church. We don't talk about money as a church so that it can go to me and I can be rolling in the money and get a BMW or, or it, no. It doesn't go to me. My family, this is, this. sometimes people think the church talks about money and the passing. Listen, I'm living back at home with my parents right now. No. You talk about feeling like a loser? You talk about having a blow dealt to your pride? I'm not rolling in the money. It's not so I can get some big house or some nice car. The reason why we talk about money like we do as a church and the reason why I sacrifice like I do is because we have a great vision as a church. I mean, what would it look like if food insecurity was eradicated in the Hampton Roads area because we support the food bank and they're giving food to people, making sure that people have enough to eat? That's a great vision and we want to come alongside that and help them, but it requires resources to see that vision come about. What would it look like if homelessness used to be a problem in Hampton Roads, but it's not anymore because as a church, we support Penn Ministry that's working to eradicate the, the systemic poverty that comes with homelessness, that's teaching people how to have a job, teaching people how to operate on a budget, and helping people with their homeless problem. That's a great vision, but in order to accomplish that vision, it requires resources. What if we could reach 1% of the population of our city and grow as a church to 2,500 people? That's a great vision, but it requires marketing to do that. It requires staff to do that, and it requires resources to be able to fund all of that. What if we could have our own building? That'd be awesome. That's great, but the church is not a building. The church is the people. When we gather in the building, we bring the church to the building. But I'm amazed at how many people come up with so many great ideas of what could be, but don't give. It requires resources to see those visions accomplished. 
The reason why we talk so much about money is because we see it over and over again throughout the scriptures. It's just the church was generous. People gave. That's just what they did. And we got to get that. Because in order for us to accomplish the vision God has for us, it requires resources. And here's what amazes me. It says that there were, there were times where the Christians sold property and homes and, and gave it, like gave the proceeds to the church. Let me ask you, when's the last time that you sold something and gave? That's convicting. That's convicting for me, right? But one of the characteristics we see of the church is that this is a movement of generosity. And so I take you back to the book of Acts so that we can see how the early church lived. Um, and, and I want to just summarize it for you in this list. Here, here's what they did as a move of God. They made God's word a priority. If you want to be a move of God, make God's word a priority. They made gathering a priority. They made communion a priority. Prayer a priority. Gratitude a priority. They made unity a priority a priority, generosity, a priority, community, a priority, and joy, a priority. And I love what happens when we make all these things priorities and we live this out as the move of God. Acts 2.47, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. And so you say church, I say movement. And I believe God has called us to be something greater in this city than we could ever imagine but it starts with a spark of us being the people God has called us to be, the movement. You know, each and every Sunday when I stand up on the stage, I wanna give you some things that are gonna help you in your life, that you can apply, that you can live out at work, that you can know are true when you look in the mirror, that you can, you can uh, adopt in your relationships. And, and I hope I've given that to you today. I've hope, I hope I've given you some things to that are gonna help you. But, but just right now, I wanna ask you to think beyond yourself and think about us collectively, this gathering. See, I believe God has called us to be something greater, to reach more people than we could ever imagine, to be this example in this city that people would look to and say, that's what resurrection looks like from that church called The Rising. It's like they're rising up as this movement of love and grace and hope in this city. But in order for us to do that, it requires you determining to be the movement. So I want you to look at this list again. Let's put it back up. I wanna ask you, the early church made it a priority to do all these things. But I'm not gonna ask you to do all these things. I wanna ask you to choose just one and determine this week, I'm gonna take a step in this. So I'm gonna make God's word a priority. I'm gonna open up the Bible app. I'm gonna start reading a plan. We have some plans in the Bible app for you to check out actually that'll help you with that. I'm gonna go back and listen to some of the sermons from the past to see where we've been that'll prepare me for where we're headed. So maybe, maybe for you, it's you say, I'm gonna make God's word a priority. And I'm gonna start living it out, gathering, I'm gonna make it a priority to be here every Sunday. Communion, prayer, gratitude, unity, 
generosity, community, joy, I wanna ask you just, just to choose one that you're gonna take one step in this week to grow in and become greater in. I believe God has called us to be a great move in this city, but it starts with us determining to be the movement. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for what you're doing in our midst. I believe that you've called us to continue to grow, develop, and become more like you. And so God, as we take a look at the example of the early church, help us, help us to make these things a priority as well. So that collectively as a whole, we can be a move of God in this city. We can be a move of God in our workplace. We can be a move of God in our family. We can live out the movement in our own lives. God, help us take our next steps. Help us stretch beyond our comfort zone and do some things we've never done before. Ultimately, to become the people we've never been before. The people you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We pray God inspires, challenges, and motivates you to become greater through what you've just heard. Again, be sure to check us out at wearetherising.com. Remember, your best days are still ahead.